All right, so um, today instead of reading uh, reading out at the beginning, I'm going to pick my way through it. Just there's a couple of there's two different stories going on here. So rather than read them both and forget about the first one or the second one, I'll yeah we'll just walk through them as we go. So we've got two quite different encounters with Jesus interacting with people, um, and the first story, which it should be Mark chapter seven twenty four to thirty. Um, I'm actually going to jump ship from Mark and read from Matthew 15, which is the same the same encounter, just Matthew packs it out a bit more with a little bit more dialogue. So I, I think it's worth including that just to, I don't know, it's a bit more helpful to see a bit more of the context and, and what happens there. So Matthew 15, uh, verse 21. So leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the, that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. So they've travelled north. This is in modern-day Lebanon. So it's, it's a bit further up than around the Sea of Galilee area where they've previously been. It's the, the furthest north that, that so far that's been recorded that he's travelled. And somehow word of this, you know, this Lord, the son of David, has got that far already. And so this woman says she's a Canaanite woman, a descendant of the Canaanites. These were the original inhabitants of the land of Israel. This is back in uh, back when God commanded Joshua to, you know, wipe out the inhabitants of the land. That this is their promised land that they would in- inherit. So the Canaanites were kind of, you know, they were looked down on. They they had this stigma about them that it, you know they were these terrible people that God kicked out of the land. They were doing all these horrible things. So so the Jews had this, they, they were second-class citizens, in, in a way. Um, obviously, they, they had this superiority complex with everyone, but to be a Gentile was bad, to specifically be a Canaanite, even worse. So this woman calls him Lord, son of David. You know, she knows who he is, and her daughter is suffering, and she believes that this Jesus guy can do something about it. You know, it was worth the it was worth the embarrassment and the you know breaking those social constructs. It was worth it to talk to this Jew. You know that was a sign of her faith that she was willing to risk that humiliation or rejection or insult. So she cries out to him for help, and it says that Jesus did not answer a word. His disciples came to him and urged him, saying, "Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us." Now, it's it's quite an awkward scene that's being set here. You know, it's this distressed woman is crying out, begging, and Jesus is just ignoring her. And, and not only that, his disciples are getting sick of her. They're saying, "You know, like, get rid of this woman." You know, it, it's not a very charitable response. And finally, Jesus does respond, and he answered. I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. So it's you know it's a second level of interaction. He's not just ignored her, but he's he's responded saying, "I'm not sent here for you. I'm sent to the lost sheep of Israel." And yet she responds and pursues him and, and kneels at his feet. Yeah, we we had a few weeks ago, you know, the story of John the Baptist, and he was ministering specifically to the nation of Israel. He was preparing the way for their Messiah. And this was a, you know, this was a Jewish Messiah. It was prophesied throughout all of Israel's history. It it wasn't prophesied in Greek history or, you know, Canaanite history. He was a Messiah to the Jewish people. 
and um, he, when Jesus sent his apostles out on their first evangelistic mission, um, it's not recorded in Mark, but it is in Matthew and Luke. You know, he tells them, you know, to not go to the way of the Gentiles, not don't go into any of the Samaritan cities, don't enter there, but go to the lost sheep of Israel. That was the command in the early days. So he's the Messiah that the people of Israel were waiting for. The rest of the world didn't know anything about him. And in Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 16, we read, you know, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, the, the Jewish people, they, were, they weren't intended to be the end goal of God's plan of salvation. Um, they were the means of his salvation, you know, specifically in Jesus. So through that unfolding story that we read all throughout their history, the, you know, the people in the Old Testament we're expecting someone to come and save the people of Israel and through that also the world. Um, and at this exact point in history, Jesus is that person who has come. He's the one that they've been waiting for. But he's he's the, the fulfilment of this Jewish story to the Jewish people. And that's at this exact point of time, that's, you know, that step one is the Jewish people. Step two is the rest of the world. Thankfully, we still get, get there as well. But at this exact point in history, he's at step one of that mission, to the lost sheep of Israel. But this woman still persists, and she kneels at his feet, begging. And he replied, saying, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Again, this, this isn't the dialogue we expect from, you know, the Jesus we know. Um, and th So the Jews often refer to Gentiles as dogs, and there's two different words that can be used here. One is, you know, the the angry, horrible, stray dog, that kind of creature. Uh, but here Jesus is using the word for, you know, a small d domesticated dog. You know, it's, it's your pet dog or your puppy. Um, the King James Version court says that, you know, the little dogs, which is gives a bit more context. So it's not a, you know, not a rabid dog eating your trash and outside. It's, it's the one that the kids give a pat under the table. Uh, still not a pleasant reply to be, you know, <laughs> likened to a dog. Um, Maybe these days more people like dogs. I don't like dogs, even if it's a cute puppy. Um, I wouldn't be a fan. But her, her reply to, to this is, this is the most amazing part of the story. Jesus saying, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She says, yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So that short response reveals so much about this woman. Yes, it is, Lord. You know, her response isn't disagreement. You know, she's she's just been insulted and likened to a dog, and, said, and Jesus has said, "My priorities are elsewhere." You know, he said, "You're unworthy of my attention at this moment. You're you're unimportant. You're not the priority." And she replies, "Yes, Lord, I know, I know that's me. I know I'm not worthy. I know I'm not one of God's chosen people. I know that you have priorities to other people. I know I am unworthy." Um, and, and Graham reminded me of this time we had a, a visiting preacher at our church years ago and she was preaching on this passage and she sort of described it in a way that it was, you know, this amazing, confident woman that persevered and that she took on Jesus in a challenge and, you know, and uh, took him on in an argument and won. And, and I can kind of, I can understand that, how you get that impression, but to focus on that completely misses the point of this whole passage, you know, the, the beauty of this exchange is that this woman understands the gospel story. She, you know, she understands she is unworthy, but God, you are merciful and there's going to be more than enough. You know, 
to summarize this story as you know a persistent woman who won won an argument with Jesus just completely misses the point. Notice she doesn't say you know she's not convincing Jesus. She doesn't say I, actually I deserve this Jesus. You know, I've been nagging you for hours. I've been out here all day in the hot sun. You know, she doesn't say Jesus, you're wrong. You owe me. She knows she doesn't deserve it. She wasn't trying to convince Jesus of anything. She knew that she wasn't worthy. So Jesus is saying, you know, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And her replying that even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. So she's not really arguing here, but she points out, you know, she's saying, actually, Jesus, you, you are really powerful. You know, there's plenty to go around. I'm, I'm not wanting to steal the meal from the kids. All I need is a crumb. You know, a crumb is enough. I know that the food belongs to the kids, but there will actually be more than they can even eat. Um, I'm, we're just starting to feed Nathan some solid food at the moment, and I'm discovering that, yes, kids are very messy. <laughs> and, you know, it's a guarantee. When feeding kids, it will get on the floor, and there is excess, you know. So she's making a statement of faith here. She knows who Jesus is, and she knows that there will be excess. You know, all I need is a crumb. She's not asking Jesus to derail his mission, his priorities. She's saying, you know, this will be easy for you in comparison to what you can do. This is a piece of cake. A crumb of cake, in fact. So after this conversation, Jesus says to her, you know, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. So just, just as she thought and just as she said, it, it really didn't take much for Jesus at all. You know, he didn't have to go out his way. He didn't break a sweat. He didn't even go to the woman's house or visit the daughter. Just at that moment, the daughter was healed. So this woman believed she needed just a tiny crumb of grace, of his grace and power, and she was right. Jesus commends this woman for her faith. You know, so there is a theme of perseverance in this passage, but the focus isn't that we should persevere in arguing or convincing Jesus. It's persevering and being confident in who he is. Okay? Even when we realize we're not worthy, you know, our confidence should be that God is merciful, that he loves us, and that he has promised salvation, you know, not because we deserve it. It's, it's perseverance and assurance in who he is, not because we're amazing and we deserve it. And that's what I love about this story. You know, this, this woman is basically summing up the position of all Christians, all of us today. You know, step one, we're not worthy. You know, we're not God's chosen people. We don't deserve anything from God. You know, he doesn't owe us anything. Yet she asks anyway. She's bold and she asks anyway. Not because she thinks she deserves it, but because she knows that God is good and that he's gracious and that he's powerful. And God responds. And, and that's our position today, right? We, we are not owed anything from God. We don't do what we do because we think we deserve it. It's all because of who God is. So that's this first encounter we've got here with Jesus. And then we're moving on to the next story, which I'll properly jump back into, into Mark. So this is Mark chapter 7, verse 31. So now Jesus, he left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon and then down, back down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. 
So they've gone... They started at the Sea of Galilee. They've gone way north up into Lebanon. Now they're back on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So these two stories are probably covering quite a few weeks of travel. It's, you know, they've been travelling a lot here. So Jesus took this man aside, away from the crowd, and Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. There's this pretty strange encounter here. A little bit gross. Um, We've seen Jesus, we've seen many examples of Jesus healing, you know, just by speaking to someone. The last passage, you know, he, he just said, it will happen, and it did. He wasn't even present when it happened. Um, we've seen times when he spoke to someone and said, you know, get up and walk. Um, so so this example here, why all this weird stuff? Why these symbols? Why, you know, obviously it wasn't necessary. What's going on here? And what we can see is, you can break it down to either three or four different signs of what, what he's doing. So he's, step one, he puts his fingers in the guy's ears. So Jesus is communicating to this person. Obviously the guy's deaf. He can't he can't be talking to him and telling him what's going on. He's communicating that, hey, actually I know what's wrong with you. There's a problem with your ears. You're not crazy, you know, you can't hear. It's a problem with just just your ears. I'm gonna fix this. And then when he spit and touched the guy's tongue, he's saying, you know, you've got a speech problem, I'm gonna fix that too. He, he's he's addressing he's making sure that the guy understands that Jesus knows what's going on here. And then he looks up to heaven. You know, here it's kind of it's it's communicating that, hey, what what's about to happen? This this comes from above. This isn't coming from me. You know, he doesn't want this guy to think he's just a traveling you know miracle man or medicine man or something like that. That this power comes from above. That's important that Jesus communicates that. And then it says with a deep sigh, he said, "I'm not going to pronounce it very well." Ephatha. So it doesn't say that he sighed and then he said that. With a sigh, he said that. So he's saying this, like it's it's dramatic and it's pronounced, and that means be opened. So obviously deaf people, you know, back then they don't have hearing aids. They, they would have been relying on lip reading and, and, you know, paying a lot of attention to what Jesus is saying. So he's he's drawing it out, making sure this guy can see. He's saying be opened, you know, to your tongue, to your ears. So the guy is... He's kept up to date with what's going on here. You know, there's that expression of sympathy and, and compassion that Jesus is meeting this guy in his current position where he's at. Um, he could have just, you know, clicked his fingers and, and healed him and the guy, it would have been equally as amazing, but he, he's taking the time to, to meet this guy and communicate with him. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like the first recorded, it's not quite sign language, but it, it, it's it's almost a sign language sermon that Jesus, you know, he's summarizing saying this, you know, this God is compassionate, this power comes from God above, and he's going to fix your ears and your, your tongue. He knows what's wrong with you. God, God from above knows what's wrong with you. He's going to come and heal you. So yeah, it, it's, and obviously that does happen. It, it's, a, it's interesting that he took the time to, to communicate this to the guy when clearly he didn't need to. be opened in his and he could speak plainly after that and Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone but the more he did so the more they kept talking about it 
People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So now this, you know, this guy who hasn't been able to speak his whole life, now that he can, Jesus says, you know, don't, you know, he's finally got something actually amazing and important to talk about. And Jesus says, actually, you know, don't tell anyone. Um, and obviously he doesn't follow that. And people do say what's going on. And understandable, I think. Um, I don't know how you could not be sharing this and saying what's going on. But what, what's really interesting here is this is the fourth time so far in the book of Mark that Jesus has said, don't tell anyone, which is very strange for, you know, a, whether he's revealing himself as the Messiah or a prophet or, you know, anyone worth listening to, it's weird that you'd be telling people, you know, actually don't share about these amazing things I do. It, it's a very strange marketing strategy, in my opinion. Um, but in, in Mark chapter one, he, he healed the leper and he's, you know, he says, keep quiet, don't tell anyone. Um, in Mark chapter three, it says, you know, it just says as a blanket statement that he healed many and cast out many unclean spirits and he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And then again, in Mark chapter five, after raising the girl from the dead, he told them that, you know, no one should know about this. It, it seems really weird that he's, he's emphasizing, you know, keep this quiet, don't tell anyone. Um, and th there's a reason for that, which I think we've touched on, but I want to just unpack it a bit more. I find this really fascinating. Um, in Luke chapter 9, there's a conversation recorded, um, and it's the first time that his disciples recognize him as the Messiah. And this takes place just after the feeding of the 5,000. So it's not recorded in the book of Mark, but it would have taken place a couple of weeks ago in, in our chronology of sermons that we've been doing. So, so this conversation's already happened. Um, and Jesus said to them, you know, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. So same idea, keep this quiet. He said that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the priests and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. So his disciples have, you know, they've, they've said, actually, we do believe you are the Christ of God. You are the Messiah. And he said, you know, you're right, but don't tell anyone this. Keep it quiet. And his reason for that is because, not because they're wrong, obviously, but he's saying it's not the right time. You don't have the full story here. You know, you're not wrong. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. But this is not the time to officially announce that yet. You know, he didn't want the world to believe that he was just a healer. You know, he was more than that. In this whole series in Mark, we've seen that he's building his case, you know, all these attributes of God that he's applying to himself, you know, that he can raise the dead, that he can forgive sins, that he can heal people, that he calms the storm, you know, his power over creation. He's building this CV that the more he does, the bigger this list gets, that it becomes undeniable. He's saying, you don't have the full message, you know, don't tell anyone because the story is not complete. And not only that, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and be killed and be raised. So there's more to come, he says. And so, so what Jesus is trying to do, you know, he's, he's trying to stall any attempt that the people are trying to, you know, they're getting excited about these miracles and what he's doing. But he's trying to stall their attempt to set him up officially as the Messiah. Obviously, there's plenty of hints to it, and the Pharisees get really upset about this. And there, there, there was a special day that God had ordained that the Messiah should be revealed to the people. 
So at the beginning of his ministry, um, it, there was a wedding feast and he, his mum said, you know, we've, we've run out of wine. You know, can you do something about it? And his reply, he said, what is this to me? That's not my problem. You know, my hour has not yet come. He, he, he's saying, mum, don't rush things. You know, now's not the time for me to reveal my power for, for people to know who I am. It's, it's coming, but it's not yet. You know, he, he was always looking forward to this, this time, that day, that hour where he would be presented as the Messiah. But he also knew that it's not now. The hour, my hour has not yet come, he would say. But eventually that hour did come, and I'm, a few spoilers here, we're jumping ahead of ourselves. Um, but we've covered this in some of our sermons on Palm Sunday, you know, when Jesus is riding in on the donkey into the city of Jerusalem. And that crowd is, you know, the singing around him, laying down palm branches and they're yelling out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And, you know, it was at this point when Jesus allows them to officially celebrate who he is in public. And in fact, he doesn't just allow it. He he says that it, it, today is the day where this must happen. You know, the Pharisees get really upset that he's, that everyone's saying, you know, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, you know, a messianic phrase, while Jesus is riding on a donkey, you know, fulfilling another prophecy about the Messiah that would ride on a donkey. And the Pharisees get really upset saying, rebuke your disciples. They knew what they were claiming. And Jesus said, if they keep quiet, these rocks will cry out. You know, he, he's saying this day is so guaranteed and so sure to happen that if these, if my disciples, if my followers didn't say this, I would, my power of creation, I would give a mouth to these rocks and they would sing it. You know, it's, it's so sure that it's going to happen. So Jesus is telling the people to keep quiet in these early days because they don't have the full story and his time has not yet come. But when the time is right, no one would be able to stop the world from knowing who he is. So we've got two quite different encounters here with Jesus, um, but there's a lot going on in those. Um, yeah, I love the the pictures we see of Jesus there, you know, that Jesus... In the second example, taking the time to meet that deaf man on his level, you know, go, here he goes out of his way with something that could have been done at a snap of the fingers or, you know, he made sure that this guy knew what he was, what was going on and met him where he was at. And then we sort of almost see the opposite in the first story with the Canaanite woman where he's, you know, he's almost out of, he's out of reach and he's, he's kind of withdrawing, but in doing so he draws out the faith of this woman and yet, particularly love that that conversation with the woman, not from the position that it was an argument, but that she knew who she was and what position she was in. You know, Lord, yes, I am unworthy, but you are good and you are powerful, and all I need is a crumb of your grace. All I need is the overflow. And yeah, I think that's the most important thing to remember here in that story is. You know, you've probably heard Graham say it quite a bit. It's a it's a great phrase, but it's worth you know it's worth reminding that you know, when we pray and we come to God with our petitions and our requests, um, and we you know we need to remember that we're asking these things because God is good and that He is gracious, not because we're good. You know, not because we've been good this week or because we deserve it. It's because God is good, yeah. and we're not trying to persevere so that He will be convinced that we deserve it. You know, we're we're simply asking for a crumb of grace. And that will be enough. And I just want to end with the prayer of humble access from our 
prayer books. Um, I think it's, I don't know, a, a great summary of, of that encounter with the woman. Um, so join me if you remember the words, but if not, um, yeah, pray this together. So Lord, we do not presume to come to this your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs from under your table. But you are the same Lord whose character is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, to eat the flesh of your Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be cleaned by his body and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen.